And good evening, our fellow lovers of love. Thank you for joining us on this excursion through the stream of consciousness, down the river of tranquility, and on towards the lake of love. Oh, well, maybe that I shouldn't. Well, maybe I shouldn't practice these before the show. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was asked just before we turned on the thing. I was telling Mubby over there that you know, uh, see, this should be an interesting opening because I hadn't practiced. I normally practice do the routine a few times. Uh, no, it came out just fine. Maybe I should not practice the routine. Maybe that's the clue. <laughs> well, good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us. It's been an interesting week over in this household. Um, especially emotional one, and I don't mind saying I've been throwing myself a bit of a pity party this week. Well, you've been doing a good job of it. You've been holding up pretty dang well, I would say. No. Well, see, I had to make the difficult decision to stop driving. My eyesight has deteriorated due to my health issues. We're not going to go into those today. Anybody who wants to dig into that can go find my personal profile. It's pinned to the top. You can find out. On Facebook, you can find that out. Uh, maybe I should post it onto the Jazzrack page just so people can find it too. So I'll do that. I'll repost it over there. But anyway, so you can find out there. I don't want to spend too much time on the details. But I had to, you know, essentially put down the car keys and get up driving for at least a little while until this all gets sorted out. It's a hard thing. I've been driving since 14. Didn't need a license then, so it's not about the license. It's about that, you know, I know it's not safe for me to be driving. I didn't wait for a doctor or a bureaucrat to tell That's me. That's a responsible thing to do. So, it's, you know, I love my fellow man than to put them at risk from a 2000 thing because I can't freaking see. It's, yeah. It is what it is. I'm proud of you. It is what it is. It's it's a difficult and emotional thing. And, uh, you know, it's because it's not just that. It's, you know, it's my way of life. I was a gig worker, a delivery driver. And, you know, you can always, if you've got a clean driving record, you can always go back to that in some form. You know, it may not be someplace you like, but, you know, it's, you can always get back in there. And, you know, and it's imperative that I stay in a good mood and don't stress. For your liver, yes. For the for the liver function. And so my last 15 years of therapy is going to be put to the test. I think. <laughs> it's going to be put to the test. And just as a, a side note, I just realized that this when I was putting the show, putting all the stuff together, that next week's show is show 69. We should do a sex show. We should do a sex show. So there you go. You've got your task for the week. Sweet. It's your show this week. Sweet. Well, it's, it's your pre-work your work, pre -work show this week. Sweet. Ow. Well, so, I could use your help. Well, yeah, of course I'll help. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard for me to see. So I, it's even hard for me to do my own show, my political shows. Yeah. Because I okay, can't be. My it's, honey. It's, okay. har it's harder for me to be as well read until I figure out how to adapt. And I'll figure out how to adapt. I, I'm not. I'll adapt. It's just. It's just. Uh, you know, until I do. It's going to be a thing. All right. So. On the top of our list is what is philosophy? And I'll talk about the concept of street-level philosophy. What is that? I don't know. I've got some piece of electronic equipment in here binging at me, and I don't know which one it is. Oh, it must be the... Anyway. Um, so anyway, so what is street-level philosophy? Well, it's only called that because... Oh, shut up. Okay. Okay, we need to fire that. <laughs> uh, well, I turned it on because that computer was working funny, so that was going to be the yes, backup. Yes, I know. And, yeah, anyway. The technical issues just beforehand, so I was ready for just in case, and 
Yeah, well, that would have happened. So that would have been nice. Um, so <laughs> that's what happens when I don't turn it on for ten days or whatever. Long. <laughs> anyway, uh, so what is street level philosophy? Well, first you have to understand what philosophy is, and that philosophy is simply deep thinking, critical thinking, the willingness to run down a thought process and then discard it because it's crap, and go back to the beginning and just think about life and how it interacts with various other aspects of life. And, you know, the real deep thinkers, you take one thing and you run with it. And I decided early on, for me, you know, there's no right or wrong way to do philosophy, from my opinion, anyway, is that I said I wasn't going to study this, the big philosophers because I didn't want to become a, have that thought, oh, I'm a Jungian, or, uh, or you know, have a school of thought. I wanted to have it, my thought be my own organically. Now, it doesn't mean you don't cross their their things, but you don't study them. Their path, yeah. Yeah, you don't take a path. You find your own. You take your own path. And so that's what I call street-level psychology, is just when you don't, not psychology. Um, philosophy. Philosophy, thank you. Um, it's when you don't take the standard path of philosophy. It's not about classes. It's not about learning the history of philosophy, because who cares if you come up with the same thought? Lots of people do. The great philosophers are just the ones who wrote it down. That's the only difference. Or had it written down at some point, I suppose. But we can all engage in it. All you have to do is think about things in a complex manner. That's really all it is. Take some aspect of life you're interested in and think about it in a complex manner. Can you give an example? Sure. Park yourself on a particle of light and see what happens. You know, imagine yourself. Do this. It's the Einstein. It's the Einstein thought experiment. But it's mostly philosophy. Now, he, now, see, that was Einstein's leap. He could change philosophy into science. He could make it into math. But you don't have to do that. Just think about it. Think about what happens, especially now that we, you know, because at the speed of light, time doesn't actually exist. The way we think of it, anyway. Or does it? It all becomes very strange. Because then it becomes to the answer of what is time. Time is a human construct. It doesn't exist in nature. No other creature other than human beings mark time. There's no clocks in nature. It appears that there's that way, but that's our thing. It's not nature's thing. Nature just exists. The planet just orbits the sun. It spins at its rate. There's nothing there setting these things. It just is. We created time as a useful tool. It's a tool. It's not a part of nature. Nature knows the difference between day and night. Nature doesn't care the difference between day and night. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Because some animals are nocturnal. Yeah. And so others are not. They need their daylight. Exactly. Nature, nature, nature doesn't care. Nature has day, night. It's neither good nor bad. Doesn't even matter if it exists. There's, there's creatures at the bottom of the ocean that have no concept of sunlight. Creatures have always existed at the bottom of the cave. Don't even know what light is. So day, nights, doesn't mean anything. It's just con environmental conditions to, the, to nature. That's all it is. Environmental conditions change, and so you adapt to it. See? There you go. You wanted your example? <laughs> There's your example. <laughs> Yeah. <sighs>
But you don't need, you know, and it, it may end up being completely worthless, but the point is to exercise your brain. To be willing to test new thoughts. You're willing to run down a thing and then be willing to tell yourself, no, nah, that was crap. You just pulled all that at your ass. <laughs> It sounded good, but just nothing. It did absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, you have to be willing to do that. And that's what philosophy is. The willingness to tell yourself that you're not as smart as you think you are. All right, so let's go ahead. We'll go on. We have some leftover topics from last week. Um, what to say to a friend with anxiety Instead of don't stress, according, you know, we had never actually finished the 31 topics from last week. Um, but we don't go back there. According to a therapist. So we've got, uh. Well, there are six helpful ways. Yeah, well, I can tell you. Let them talk, then repeat what you say. <laughs> yeah, let them talk, yes. I, I don't necessarily know, repeat what they say. It's because sometimes that comes off wrong. Unless you're good at it. Sometimes the best thing to do is silence. I'm sorry. That kind of thing. So it's not that it's... I get that it's an affirming thing. You affirm that you've heard them. You affirm that you understand. Well, you can affirm. You can say, you can be honest. You yeah. know, that sounds painful. Yeah, you can so say, that you can hard. make them so you're hearing and that you're listening. Yeah. But unless you have, but even people who have anxiety disorders can't really understand what someone else's anxiety is, how it manifests and how it impacts them. And so I'm just being very careful when you reflect it, that you're not reflecting back that you understand because you can't just reflecting back that you hear, that yeah. you're there for them. Yeah. And that you're not judging them for the, what they're experiencing at the moment. Alright, so ask questions. Hold on, I gotta make the screen bigger because I can't read this. In the ask way. questions to understand their feelings better. How I, can you possibly think that way? Don't, don't shame. That's what I mean. So you, you, again, you want to tread lightly. Because they'll tell you, you don't have to actually ask many questions. Because here's the thing about anxiety disorders and stuff. If it made sense, it wouldn't be called a disorder. So if you're asking questions, you're searching for a rational answer that doesn't exist. Or may not exist. So again, it's just tread lightly. So let's tread lightly if you, when you're doing that. Ask what you could do to make them feel better. Yep. Is hey, is there anything I can do? Is you know, do we need to get out of here? You know, if there's some place, do you need me to get you out of here? <laughs> you know, if maybe if you're out in an event or something. It, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. You know, if you're at home, do you, do you need to drink something to dinner? You, you want to go hang out and watch a, a movie? You know, smoke a joint. Whatever it is, your thing is. Don't try to fix a problem. That's right, because there's nothing to fix. You know, it's a disorder. It's a lot of the times it's not real, and we know it's not real. We just have to get through it. You know, I'm or I would like to use this thing. I go, you know, you're on the way to go get a hamburger, and you get in a panic attack. I'm buying a freaking hamburger. What do you want from me? You know, but it's there's no rational to it. There's no. It doesn't make any sense. Of course, it's not going to make any sense. How can you? There's nothing to fix. <laughs> you know, the fix is a long-term thing. There's nothing you can do. That's all internal work. What you can do is support them while they fix. You know, like when they get, when they come home from therapy day, you know, some people like to talk about their therapy. Some people don't. I'm a talker. You're not a talker. No, I just got done. What, what did it do? <laughs> <laughs> if I had more to talk about, I would have said it. I, I, that's a, I get it. <laughs> Follow up. That's a good one. Um, avoid cliches. I disagree on this one. I simply disagree about avoiding cliches. 
because sometimes what cliches are is when you don't have any other tools, you have something to lean on. It's like, in a sense, I actually think sometimes I have a, a little jealous of religious people because they have things to say during times of crisis. You just pull one out. We got a book. Book tells us what to say. <laughs> so we say it in a time of crisis. And it's comforting. You know, people like me, we have to make it up every single time. Now, I'm old enough now and have been, you know, a deep thinker, so to speak, that I have a life philosophy to back up on time. So in those times, everything's kind of the same. But the words are not the same all the time. And so there's, there's a comfort in that. And I can understand it. And there's a comfort in cliches. As long as it's the right one, that's the trick. Is use the right one at the right time, and don't be a, and unless you're someone who overuses it, then don't. If you're someone who overuses cliches as a habit, then now's not the time to pull it off. It's not using one is stronger, but most of us don't walk around aren't walking cliches. And so, if you if the cliche sounds like the best thing to you in your to say, and you know the person fairly well, then it's probably the best thing to, to do. Just as all of this, tread lightly. Tread lightly. Yeah. People with anxiety need you to treat lightly. That's, that's all they need. Well, and if you love them, they need you to love them. But you already do that, so that's the answer. That's the easy one. Oh my. All right. So what do we got? Why no? I know why. I can speak. I'm speaking fast today, aren't I? A little bit. Yeah. Why I no longer identify with mental illness. I read this one, and uh -huh. I have a hard time understanding. Okay. I read this one, but I read it like 10 days ago. So, because <laughs> it was for last week. Um, well, I, in concept, I get it. Because if you identify as your mental illness, you become a victim to it. And so in a sense, taking a label off. Okay, now I understand that. Yeah. And that's kind of the con. You have to be able to write an article. So you have to take that concept and make it really long. <laughs> in a yeah, sense, it was Maybe a long article. Rather than simplify it. And the article is probably worthy of, of reading if you understand where it's coming from. That they don't want to become a victim of their, of their disease. You see so many people who wear their illness or their disease as like their badge of courage. It's like it becomes part of their identity. And... Some people don't feel that as is a good way for them to live. Some people need it as a strength, right? That's how they get their strength to get through whatever whatever it is. But other people feel victimized by it. I'm more than that. I'm deeper. That's not who I am. That's a okay, small part of it. Now, me. that I understand because when you're first diagnosed, it's a little overwhelming and you feel like you're a pariah and this is what you are. Um, but as you grow you, uh, with it, 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 you realize it's just a facet of who you are. Yeah. Well, you and, know? and we always got to be careful because different people have different needs. Yeah. Some people need to identify. Yeah. It's that, that, that becomes a suit of armor for them. And that's how they can get through their lives. That's how they get through the day. Okay. This is what <laughs> I deal with. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's their foundation. Yeah. And so, there's, again, there's no one single way to get through these things. Right, 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 right. right. We all have to find your way through these things. Yes. And you can, you can listen to how other people did it. Maybe you can learn something. Maybe you can try things. Try it on. Yeah. You can always try it on. If it doesn't work, then just disregard it. But sometimes, hey, it's a hit. And sometimes you can, you know, think about something, and you know, that's not for me. You just know it. 
So, you know, it, I've actually always struggled that I didn't want, I've always never wanted to wear the anxiety disorder. That's kind of why I resisted being a, an anxiety advocate. Cause I don't want to wear the, I don't want to wear it. I don't want that to be what I'm known for. I'm far more complicated than that. So I get where they're coming from. But I'm also experienced enough to know that, you know, it's not the only way through. Other people are vastly different and it's just as valid. Okay. What do we got? Second child someone. You sent this one. Yes. Okay. So, and I read this. This is an actually interesting. Has ever been? This was an interesting. God, I'm trying to talk too fast. What the heck is wrong with me today? You're all right. I'm talking too fast. Yeah, I haven't had this problem right. in a while. You're I told right. you I'm out of sorts this week. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second child syndrome. Unborn child is getting shafted before. The, I, I think the article was that before it's even born, they're already getting shafted. But I think it's actually the opposite. Why? Because by the time the second child runs around, you know what's important, you know what's not. Yes. <laughs> they're not getting shafted. They're getting a better parent is what they're getting. <laughs> yes. And, and so what you're saying, all these extra attention, all this extra time, but you've decided that it wasn't important. <laughs> Obviously, you decided to have another child, but you were up to the task of yeah. splitting your time. Yeah, but because you know why? is because you realize that a lot of the time you spent with that child was kind of wasted. And they use things like the nursery, right? You're the first child, you make the nursery and all this stuff. Your second, third child, if they're going to sleep in a drawer, and you know, literally, you know, some of us, you'd sleep in a drawer in the bed next to you. In the drawer, just to come up to the drawer for the first month and a half. If you got a big dresser drawer, I've heard of it. Yeah, or you slip in the bassinet in the room, or the co-sleeping, or whatever method it is. No infant sleeps in the freaking nursery down the hall. No. <laughs> <laughs> Only in movies, man. TV. That's not real life. Okay, there's probably enough of it in real life to, you know. Well, there was that one baby that did it. <laughs> yeah, that one baby that one time. That's how that stuff works. Exactly. That one baby that one time. And, and so it's just, I, I actually think the second and third child just get a better parent. And I can feel how an emotional it's you know someone who's emotional can understand and say, I spent all this extra time. I did pictures and baby books and and this baby showers and the second kid gets hand me downs and all this stuff. Yeah, but the second child also gets you knowing what's important. It's not you know how to change the diaper like that now instead of having it fall off half the time. You know all the various problems that just eat up your time. You're just a better parent by your second child. You get a better parent. So. All that extra attention a single child gets is not automatically good. You can stifle oh, them. Uh. You stifle them, spoil them, and you can go all kinds of ways. Okay. Mom bans son's friend from attending sleepover after his mom was five hours late for pickup the previous time. Uh, yeah, I can actually understand that. Can you have a serious conversation first? I'm going to assume a conversation was had, and this is not a responsible person. And you feel bad for the child, but what can you do? You have things to do. You've got other appointments, and you can't. You know? 
five hours. It's not like it's a half hour wait. Right. Yeah. It's a whole, that's a different thing. I'm asking someone to babysit for half a day. You know, it's. And you don't want to punish the child, but what are you going to do? Because essentially you're punishing the child for the behavior of the parent. But what are you supposed to do? You could offer to take them home, but how do you know they're even going to be there? I hadn't thought of that. You could offer to take them home. But how do you know someone's going to be there to, to pick them up, to, to receive them? I mean, it doesn't say how long, but sleepovers, kind of a party thing. I don't know. Seems kind of would be younger. Not willing to drop someone off. Not a teenager. Not a teenager. Yeah. Or you can drop them off by themselves, and it's not such a big deal. So, I don't know. It's I I feel for it, but and I just you know you hate thinking that you're actually punishing a child for the behavior of parents, but at the same time you're kind of stuck. There's no easy answer here. Mm-mm. I mean, um, maybe if you're just not doing anything the next day. All right, fine. But if you have to go to church and you can get everybody out of there by 9.30, what are you going to do? Yeah. So, anyway. It's it's one of those things. Those are the things when you interact with other people's children that become difficult. Hmm. Yeah. Hopefully they find another answer. Maybe one of the other parents is willing to deal with it. You know, who knows? Maybe he's got a friend. It doesn't sound like it. Parents who are pick up their children five hours late. Yeah. Have a tendency to not care so much. All right. Did you want to take your break? Yeah. All right. We will be right back. All right, and we are back. Thank you for joining us. And we would like to remind you that you can go to latenightlove.us. You can find us on Facebook at The Late Night Love. You can find us on anchor.fm, Late Night Love. And you can find us on all your favorite podcast networks. And please do us a favor and do the whole share and like and push button things everybody I hate that part but whip gives us an appreciation follow like subscribe share blah 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 okay (laughs) (laughs) you're so enthusiastic I am so enthusiastic about the marketing part of this thing yeah yeah yeah, no wonder we haven't grown so much we grow so slow (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just saying. Hey, but we're all organic, so you know it is what it is. Okay. So, do you have any? Did you get a chance? Oh, you didn't get a chance to go through these. But I forgot to send them to you. All right. That's okay. We'll do it on the fly. All right. During an interview, when asked, What is your greatest strength? How should you, how should one answer this question? There's a couple good ones. Mine is always, I pay attention to detail. But that's also my greatest, when they ask, what's your biggest weakness? That's also my biggest weakness. I get bogged down in detail. Well, But there's also team player. I'm a team player. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, what the professionals say is make it something to do directly with the job. Oh. If you actually want the job. Now, see, for me, that's phony. You do actually want to give something that's directly related to the job, but, you know, like, oh, I learned quickly. 
Yes, this is true. I learn every lots of things quickly. So I'm a nice guy. I get along well with others. Okay, but how does that relate to whatever you're doing? Uh, right? Well, for me, if I'm supervising an assembly line, well, learning quickly, you learn how to make the parts and learn how to work the assembly line, and working well with others, just well, you have to you know, interact and manage people so you know those can work but i always just say be honest and if you can relate something to the to the job direct job that you're applying for because if you're if your greatest asset in life is that you can you know drink russians under the table you probably don't want to say that my greatest strength is oh, i can drink anybody under the table no one cares I can bench press 400 pounds. Unless you need to be lifting 400 pounds on a regular basis, no one cares. <laughs> but I always found the greatest weakness case to be. It's actually a dumb question. I wish they would stop asking those kind of questions. Because you know, all they tell you is about is, is someone is someone better prepared for give you a bullshit answer or not. <laughs> the greatest weakness is actually a better one because at least you have to strategize your way through it. It tells you at least tell you something about how how someone strategizes. Right, right, right. Because you're just gonna get I'm a team player. I'm attention to you. You get kind of the genericized uh, versions of these things. If you can actually have a good story. See, for me, I've always found if you can tell a good story in a, and that relates to, you know, work, past work experience and the, how it might relate to them. But if you can tell a good story, even if it, even if it's not necessarily, does, if you don't think it looks good, I've actually told the story about how I blew up, you know, I was technically responsible for destroying five pumps at a, at a gold mine. Each pump was ten thousand worth ten thousand dollars. I was technically responsible for it. But I just had to sign off and everything that went out the factory floor. We followed procedures. It just they were still dirty. They didn't follow procedures, and so it was still dirty when they put it on, and then the dirt inside the thing chewed up the pumps. But. Yeah, but then you you, know, you you learn and say about how okay, so what did you guys do it do about it? It's like well, we kind of figured out okay, so how did how did this happen? It was a hot muggy day, and we reinvented a little tool so we can make sure it was cleaned out precisely for the next time, and we trained a new technique right, for for the wider hoses for cleaning them out. Came up with a new technique. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, there's all kinds of ways to answer the question, but so if you can have a story to tell with it, it's actually even better. So, all right. My neighbor is acting very suspicious. Ooh. And I once saw him bring in multiple guns into the house. So I contact the police or it's none of your business. The police about what? <laughs> <laughs> not doing nothing. <laughs> My neighbor has his blinds out all the time. Yeah, because your nosy ass keeps trying to look in his house. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> My, unless there's actually something to to deal with, there's nothing to deal with. Stop looking for problems. God. Well, see, people are afraid of the next type Bundy, you know. Yeah, I know, but you know, people hunt, people go shooting, there's recreation all the time. It's not a, you know, it's not a thing that doesn't happen. And well, unless maybe you're in the UK or something. But you know, here in the United States, you know, there's shooting ranges and hunting trips and, you know, people go hunt trees all the time. It happens. It's a routine thing. <laughs> yeah, it's part of our culture. Yeah. 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 So it's, 
So there's nothing actually suspicious about any of that stuff. Lots of people don't open their blinds because they don't open their blinds. Stop looking for problems, man. All right. Here's a good one. If your child refuses to eat dinner every night because they claim they don't like it, even if they've liked it before, would you send them to bed early? I don't like punishing children over food. Sets up bad precedence for the future. Yeah. Creates a bad relationship with food. They go to bed, you know, they go to bed hungry, they go to bed hungry, they'll eat. We, uh, we were given the option if you didn't like dinner, you could go make yourself a sandwich, but you had to cook it because somebody had already cooked for you and they weren't going to cook a second time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it depends. We had an autistic son and so he has very picky eating and sometimes it would be kind of random and you have to kind of account for that. Yeah. So, I mean, but if you're just talking to a child who's going through a phase, let them go through their phase. They'll be all right. They'll want to eat. I mean, if and it depends. If you say no, they need to eat their dinner. That's fine. But then say, okay, you have to be prepared to go hungry. And trust me, that only happens once. Yeah. They'll eat something. They may not eat a lot of their dinner, but they'll eat some of it. But you also have to remember, children's tastes change, and they can change relatively quickly. So something they liked last week, they may not like it anymore. Those little True. taste buds, those little True. nerve endings, all those things are changing and evolving rapidly. So just because they liked it last week, you're going to like it this week. Yeah. 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 Jane, I didn't change this around. Watch this. Because now I was looking off to the screen, and now where I was like, now I, no, wait, I did have it right. See? It's backwards. This is reverse mirror. <laughs> <laughs> it's this reverse mirror, man. I don't know. All right. Um, I have an employee who usually reports sick about two days a month, but he's a good worker. Should I fire him? You ever figure that he may be taking mental health days? But the question is, do you get enough production out of him for the month? If the answer is yes, then no, you shouldn't fire them. You may want to ask, hey, I see you take a couple of days off every month. Are you taking mental health days? It's Are you okay? Yeah, is yeah. there something we can do? Because that sounds like me when I was dealing with, you know, when you're dealing with anxiety issues or, or bipolar issues or something. Sometimes you just need to take a couple of extra day off because you're not... You just can't do it that day. And here's the thing. If you honor that, they will run through walls for you when you can. You'll have a very loyal employee because you showed loyalty to them. Yes. Loyalty that they can't get everywhere. So if he's a good worker, have a, have a conversation about it and see what it is. I'm not, you know, just approach it with caution. Approach it with some care, kindness, and compassion. And you'll have a highly loyal employee. Yes, indeed. Treat them like a human and they'll treat you the same way. Yeah, you show some loyalty, they'll show you the loyalty back. You've already said he's a good worker, so it's not the work ethic. It's there's something else. If you can figure out what that is, then maybe you can find some way to work around it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just I don't get. It. <laughs> I just this one made no sense to me. So why do parents tell their kids how babies are made? Why wouldn't you? My adult daughter will be 19 in two months, and I never told her at all. What the hell is wrong with you? I tell her that she was adopted. What? She isn't. <laughs> she isn't. Yeah. What? She goes well. Well, they're going, they're going to find out anyway. What is going on here? 
Is somebody ashamed think to tell their children I had sex? And that's how you were made? Maybe. But you figured it out. They're going to figure it out. They're going to think you're batshit crazy. <laughs> this is a parental task that you have to do. Yeah. Well, and the, they've learned it at school. <laughs> Trust me, they've learned it at school. They didn't learn it in class. They learned it from their friends. And you damn well better hope they learned it in class. <laughs> the hell is wrong with this woman? Or person. I don't know if it's a woman or not. And there's health things that go with this. You have to do, they have to know that you have to have checkups. How the hell did you explain your period? Did no one talk to this girl? I'm just saying. She, she's just all on her own. No, because at, no, at 19, she's 19. This is written now, so it's the last four years. The last four years of school, there's robust. I mean, unless maybe she's homeschooled, but I somehow don't think this person wants to put that much effort into it to teach to homeschool these kids. So these kids went to, went to school. So I'm sure they know. It's just she stuck her head in the sand. She's got her head deep down, well, probably up her ass is a more descriptive word. But she's not paying attention to the world around her. I hope these kids have a stronger head or their other parent is had the discussions behind the back. You know, there's a hundred ways that this could have, that this could not be as bad as it appears on, on the surface. They could have people in their lives that give them everything they needed to know. So let's be honest. They're not necessarily walking out there ignorant. Especially in today's world, it's harder and harder to be ignorant over that kind of thing. But why would you want your child to be? And how in the fuck would you tell uh, someone that they're adopted when they weren't. Why would you do that? It's, it, uh, you know, that's yeah. shades of abuse. There's nothing wrong with being adoption. Adopting someone is a blessed, wonderful thing. It's a glorious Yes, it's a gift from the heart. But, but why would you create that dynamic that doesn't need to be there? It's like a Anyway, I don't understand. That person needs to go to therapy. And then children probably do too. But definitely that person needs to go to therapy. They have issues. Probably issues with the sexuality, their own personal sexuality. Or there is another option that we actually didn't think about. She could have been pregnant by violence. Ah. And then that's kind of how the trauma would. Yes. Present. So there is a so I don't a potential of caution, a word of caution on being overly judgmental. Yeah, 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 yeah. But either way, she yeah. needs to see. Yeah. So, so counsel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I got an invitation to a high school reunion where I was bullied. I'm successful in my career. I want the satisfaction that I'm doing better than my bullies, but I don't want to demean myself on that level. Should I go? Well, I never went. I didn't go to mine. Now, it wasn't because of bullies or anything. It's because I figured I didn't go to high school, but half the time anyway. So I figured I'd just avoid my, I didn't really want to go. And I'm running for office at the time, right? So I could have gone. I could have strutted around like I was Mr. Big. But... <laughs> <laughs> but you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But whether this person should go or not, well, is there anybody there you'd actually want to see and talk to? If you're just going to as vanity, no. I mean, if the only reason you're going is to, is for the self-satisfaction that you're doing better than than those people who bullied you, at that stage, you're not much better than your bullies. You want to rise above them. Right? And you know it. 
He's talking about the demeaning himself. He does. He knows that it demeans himself to want to go in there and want to feel that satisfaction. You're not going to, if that's the reason you go, then don't go. If you go because there's some people in school you like and you heard they're going to be there and you'd like to go and spend some time with them because it'd be cool to catch up. Great. Don't make that decision because of your bullies because then they're still bullying you all these time later. Go because there's people you want to talk to. Go because there's no one there to bother with. Don't go because there's no one there to bother with. Right? That's the reason you do it. Yeah. Don't let it be anything other than that. Because then you're still letting those damn people control you. All this time later. Shall not go quiet into the good night. Rage! Rage against the dying of the light! Maybe I should go do my poem reading again. Anyway, uh, this one's heartbreaking. Do you want to read that one? Can you read it from here? Um, I want to run away, and I'm traveling to London. What should I bring? You cannot change my mind. I'm 14. What should I do? Okay, obviously something is going on at home. Yeah, well, lots of children run away because they fear that something's going to happen at home. Not something's actually going to happen. And this is what I've seen. Okay, now I'm not just counting that something could, could be happening. But if something's happening at your home, the answer isn't to run away. The answer is to go to your social services and seek help. School counseling is a good place to start. I mean, in the schools, in the UK, they have social services. They have police people they, they can call. No, she's traveling to London. Yeah. So they're in the UK. You can't travel. A 14-year-old can't travel from the United States to London. Yeah, you need a passport. So so this is from the... So this, they're in the UK. So they're in the UK. Okay. So she's in the UK. And the UK has social services and things they can call the police. If you're talking about abuse in the house, you don't need to be by yourself. And even here, in there's probably runaway hotlines. They have them here. If they have them here, they have them otherwhere. Runaway hotline. You don't have to run away before you call a runaway hotline. They'd much have you rather call you there. I'm thinking of running away. <laughs> How can you help me? Than they would trying to help you after you've run away. So you can still call the runaway hotline. If you're desperate, that desperate, call the suicide hotline. I know you're not suicidal at the moment, but they would much rather help you and get you in contact with people who can help you than deal with you when you're actually suicidal. <laughs> I'm just, but at 14, you are not prepared for life on the streets in a major city. It's rough out there, folks. And so predators are waiting for you. Make damn well sure you're just not upset with your parents. You're just not too strict. They're just not all these various things. You're only four years from your own, from your thing. You're right? so close. So, I mean, if it's genuinely abusive neighbor, uh, situation, get the hell out. That doesn't mean you run away to London. You find people to help you. There are people to help you. I know it doesn't feel that way, but there are people to help you. And, you know, and it's not, you probably have a friend who has a trustworthy parent that you can talk to. You know, if that's where you have to go, find someone you trust or call the social services if you need to. Something. Just, once you hit those streets, it's going to be hard. It might be harder than what you're doing with now. But I want to talk about why some people leave and some don't. And when they don't really need to. Especially when you're talking about if you're, if you're gay and you, and you don't want to tell your, you know, your, my parents won't understand. But oftentimes they will. You just have to give them some time. And especially now, it's more than ever, it's be well, but children still feel that they can't. 
you know, we've experienced it in kind of our own lives where, you know, they're afraid to tell you things. And say, well, why are you afraid to tell me? You could, we've always been able to talk about anything. I don't know. Because it just feels like, you know, that you're going to get rejected. And so they think their parents are going to kill them. They think their parents are going to reject them. Doesn't necessarily mean they will. And teenagers don't necessarily think well. They're teenagers. They assume that their parents are going to reject this part of them. Doesn't mean they will. Some do. It's true. That doesn't mean yours will. And sometimes they just need time. You know, as much time as you needed to get to the point where you can accept it for yourself. You know, sometimes they need a little time. You know, some parents have dreams of, you know, the marriages and grandchildren and all this other stuff. And you come out and you say, I'm gay. And they see all that go away. And they're not living for you in that moment. They'll get there. You kind of deflated their dream. And it takes a minute to realize that the real dream wasn't the, the grandchildren and the families and the good house. It was that you were happy. And when they realize that that, that, you know, the lifestyle you have, your sexuality makes you happy, they'll accept. But it takes time. Sometimes. But sadly, there are parents, there are people out there who can't wrap their head around it. And want to run away. So I don't know. Find some help. Don't do it. Don't run away by yourself. There are places to help. It's easier to look for the help now than it is once you hit the streets. Just saying. For any of you out there who's been in that situation, who knows somebody in that situation, we love you. We care about you. Be careful. Okay. Do we have something? <laughs> this next one is... It's a little funny. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> all right. So, 19-year-old, my dad is making me buy all my own food, toilet paper, toothpaste, and shower stuff. It's stupid. <laughs> I get everything else included except, except these things. What should I do? <laughs> Be happy that's all he's freaking making your aunt buy. That's what you should do. Because <laughs> you're not charging your rent. Not charging your rent. That's a good deal. That's actually a pretty good deal. Look, you have a place to live, but you got to take care of your, your own personables. What's wrong? That's a pretty reasonable, actually, it's a highly reasonable thing. You're 19. You should be able to feed yourself. Now, I somehow doubt that if you were starving, your dad was going to let you starve. But you should be making an attempt at 19 and stuff to feed yourself. But actually, just be grateful. That's actually what I would say. He doesn't owe you anything. He loves you. Teaching you to be self-reliant. And he's doing it gently. Yes, he is. Yeah, be happy that you don't have a father who says it's rent and utilities or get the hell out. You know, we had a young lady who lived with us for, what, eight, nine months after she graduated high school. She's yeah. missing our daughter. Is that why? Well, not exactly. But the, the point is there's, you know, be blessed for what you have. Because you may not, other people don't have it. You've got something good. You know, accept the gift. He's actually giving you a gift. And that's, I think, is what's important. Um, let's skip to this one. Should I let my 14-year-old son choose when he goes to bed? Uh, I think it's up for negotiation. Well, see, I always 
my rule was you can stay up as late as you want as long as you get up when you have to get up. Maybe hell to pay if you don't. I'd literally throw water on their asses if they wouldn't get up. So I didn't actually have that problem. They'd stay up late, playing video games or whatever, but they'd get up. Well, except for Anthony, but that was that had nothing to do with how late he went to bed. He just didn't get up in the mornings. <laughs> it's just the way it was. He was a night owl. He's the trying to get him up in the early mornings it's just it's dumb so you know, worked around it uh, yeah but, with mine I I would go to bed and I'd open up a good night and uh, as long as they were in their rooms and they're settling in they'll go to sleep yeah well at 14 they have to learn to monitor their own sleep patterns and they can't do it unless they have the opportunity they have to learn to, to do these things on their own. You have to learn how the choices and the consequences. I was always a big natural consequence person. Parent. And yeah. Hey, you want to stay up late? That's great. You're asking to be tired tomorrow, but knock yourself out. <laughs> but, you know, because that, but that was always how it was. It was never a thing. They always knew that, okay, I can stay up late if I want, but she's not going to give me no slack tomorrow because I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Now, you may be lucky. Maybe you don't, maybe tomorrow you didn't have anything planned. You can sleep all day. Hey, that's great. You got lucky. But if we had to get up at seven in the morning, you went to bed at four. That's your problem, not mine. But, you know, they're young teenage boys. They can do it once you get them up and moving. They're fine. It's the difference between teenagers and old people like me. Can't get me up and moving after a three hour sleep. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Alright. So we got two questions left and we're almost out of time. Which one do we want to do? Do you want to do the how do you know you have met someone with whom you want to spend your whole rest of your life? Yes. Or the turning age 28 and feel old? Uh, let's let's go with the love one. All right. How do you know you have met someone with whom you want to spend the rest of your life? Oh, I felt that way many times. Well, I won't say many, several, several. Yeah, but how do you know? See, how do you know for sure that it's not just. Okay, but I think you go into it with the best of intentions, and you hope for the best. But that, but I'm 60 now, so that's a 60 year old. Ask when I was 20. I don't know what I was thinking. How do you know? You don't know. That's the thing. In a sense, there's a leap of faith you have to make. Yep. And, you know, that's why sometimes it goes so wrong. But on the other hand, that's why sometimes it goes so right. Because you have to make that leap of faith. It has to be made. Otherwise, you never actually get the fullness of a relationship. It's one of those things that at some point you have to jump in with both feet. You can't have a life jacket on. You just got to jump in and hope you made the right choice. One fate. And it's a hard thing. It's, it's, a, it's exciting. It's scary. It's thrilling. Yeah. It's, there's a reason that artists have been trying to express this concept of love since the beginning of human history. It, it's a strange, encompassing thing. It's it's multiple things at the same time that are different. It's scary and exciting and comforting and, and safe all at the same time. 
How can that be? It's because love is a magical thing. It can be what you need it to be. But oftentimes, it can be what you need when you don't quite know it. So that's the end of the show for tonight. We want to thank you for joining us from me and Lubby. Um, well, wait. I had an ending. No, I just went. Oh, no. <laughs> right out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for me and Lubby, we want to thank you for joining us. Um, uh, you can check us next week, every week at 10 p.m. Uh, Pacific on our Facebook page. You can find us at latenightlove.us and all your favorite podcast networks. You can find us at locals. You can join our locals community. We'd like that. Oh, uh, late night love. Dot locals. I think that's what it is. Okay. Dot com. Something like that. Anyway, you can find us on those kind of maybe social media network. Or you can go to the website. I think I've got them all posted there. All right. Thank you guys for watching us. Uh, for me and Lubby, please remember to love everybody. Good night.